Today my message is entitled, When Jesus Comes. And we're going to be talking about Jesus. Jesus is the most influential person who has ever walked the surface of this planet. He lived 2,000 years ago and yet his influence grows year by year. Currently one out of every three people in the world identify themselves as being a Christian, which is about 2.2 billion people. Christianity is the largest religion in the world and it continues to grow. And yet Jesus is a very, how should I say it, polarizing person. When you truly understand what he said. Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, and you can pull out the white page that's in the middle of your bulletin and follow along there. It has the verses written out as well as the outline. He says, do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And what's Jesus talking about here? We don't hear many sermons about this verse. But Jesus is saying is that when he comes, each person must make a decision. He calls every person to a decision when they meet Jesus, as it were. They have to decide, am I going to believe in him and follow him? Or am I not going to believe in him and not follow him? And when one person in a household believes in Jesus and makes a commitment of their whole lives to follow him, and another person has not yet made that commitment, there's not peace between the two. They're following a different master. The master of the believer is Jesus Christ. And whether the other person realizes it or not, they are still in the kingdom of darkness and their master is Satan and they're following what they want to do and so there is conflict between the two of them. That's what happens when Jesus comes and so we shouldn't be surprised when it happens in our lives and in our time today. But when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he, as it were, turned the world upside down. Life on this earth was never the same after Jesus came. Because when Jesus came, he was God in human form. He wasn't just another human being. He wasn't just a prophet. He was the very Son of God. And so Jesus turned the world upside down and his followers did the same. It says in the book of Acts that his disciples turned their world upside down. Or perhaps we should say they turned it right side up. They made a difference. People understood that something supernatural was happening. And God wants you and I to turn our worlds upside down. He wants us to follow his example. To present the gospel to others. Now this morning we're going to look at a passage in the, uh, the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 19 where Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem. And to give a little background to it, we're going to watch a video clip from the Bible miniseries. And it shows what happened when Jesus came into Jerusalem. Now as we watch this clip, I want you to watch carefully for the different responses of different groups of people. See how Jesus polarized the people of Jerusalem. Some responded to him and became believers. Others did not become believers. So let's watch as Jesus enters Jerusalem. So we see how different groups of people responded to Jesus in different ways. 
Some responded in a God-honoring way and others did not welcome Jesus. In fact, they wanted to kill him. And so today we're going to look at how these different groups responded to Jesus and learn some lessons for our own lives. But before we get started on this passage in, in Luke chapter 19, we need to think about how does Jesus come? Jesus is not going to come down the streets of St. Louis riding on a donkey, is he? How does Jesus come to us today? Well, Jesus comes to us when we gather together as a church on Sunday morning. Jesus is here. Jesus comes to us. Jesus comes to us every day when we set aside time to read his word and to pray. Are we meeting him there? Jesus comes every week to small groups of believers who meet together to study his word, to fellowship, and to pray. Are we taking advantage of those opportunities? And so when Jesus comes, even to believers, he challenges us to respond. To respond in a God-honoring way. He gives us a decision to make. Will we follow him or will we not? We have a choice to make. If we follow him, we'll be blessed. If we go our own way, we do not receive that blessing. And so let's look at what happened when Jesus came to Jerusalem. The first response was of the crowds. That's a response that we should emulate. They praised Jesus joyfully. As Jesus began to enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey, the news began to spread. Jesus is coming and the crowds began to gather. Each person called their friend and they began to surround Jesus. Many spread their cloaks on the road in front of Jesus as the donkey trotted along as a way to honor Jesus. Others went around to the trees, the palm trees that lined the road and cut palm branches and they began to wave the palm branches and shout, Hosanna. And so there was a lot of joy as Jesus entered Jerusalem. The people were praising Jesus for his miracles. Our passage begins in verse 37. It says, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. You see, this wasn't the first time these people had seen Jesus. They'd seen him ministering. They'd seen him touching sick people and the sick people being healed. They'd seen him casting out demons from people who were afflicted and possessed and the people being set free. Some of them may have seen him taking us a few loaves and fishes and multiplying it and feeding thousands of people. Yet others might even have seen a dead man like Lazarus raised back to life. They were filled with joy at the miracles that Jesus had done. They'd never seen anything like it and they were praising God for Jesus and his miracles. Not only did they praise him for his miracles, but they praised him for being king. Verse 38, they said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so the crowds recognized Jesus for who he was. He was truly a king. He was coming in the name of the Lord. They knew that Jesus was not just an ordinary man. They knew he was not just a prophet. But he was the Messiah. The one who was coming to rule Israel. 
Now, most likely, as we read further on in the Bible, many of the people thought that Jesus was going to come and become an earthly king. They thought he was going to drive out the Romans and establish the nation of Israel with a king once again. But that was not yet to be. But they were still right in praising Jesus as a king. He was a spiritual king. And so they set a good example. They praised Jesus for what he had done, for the miracles he had done, and for who he was. We need to ignore the grumblers. Verse 39 and 40, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The Pharisees were the teachers of the law, and they were rather calm and collected, and they weren't too into this loud praising, lifting of palm branches, shouting, praising Jesus. And so they said, teacher, just calm things down. We don't want things to get out of hand because if things get out of hand, then the Romans will come and we're going to get in all kinds of trouble. So just keep things quiet. The Pharisees were the teachers of the law who added many additional requirements to the worshipers in the temple. Rather than just following the word of God, they had all kinds of other things that people had to do. And waving palm branches wasn't one of the things they were supposed to do. And so they were far more interested in the details of the law than in a relationship with God. And they grumbled about the disciples praising God too loudly. So looking at how these different groups responded as Jesus entered Jerusalem, how should we respond when Jesus comes? Well, just as those disciples, we should praise him. When we gather together, when we meet with him individually or in a group, we should praise him for what he has done. Oftentimes we come into his presence and we we just think about what we need. And that's okay, but we need to praise him for what he has done. God has worked miracles in all of our lives. We need to praise him joyfully. If you're a believer here this morning, then God has saved you. And that's something we can praise him about no matter what is going on in our lives. If you're a parent here this morning, God has blessed you with children. That's something to praise him for. If you have a job, if you have a roof over your head, if you ate breakfast this morning, you have something to praise him for. If you're breathing this morning and your heart is beating, you have something to praise him for. I think that applies to all of us as far as I can see. We all have something to praise the Lord for. Praise him for the miracles he's done in our lives. But there are times in our lives when miracles seem scarce. Ever been in a time like that? Something you're praying for doesn't happen and it just seems like the heavens are brass. Your prayers seem to bounce off. And at those times, we can still praise God for who he is. We can praise Jesus for who he is. He's still the king of kings. He's still the Lord of lords. He still reigns in heaven above. And when we praise Jesus for what he has done and for who he is, it fills our hearts with joy. It's a prescription for discouragement. It's a prescription for feeling down, praising the Lord. And when you're full of joy, when you're praising Jesus, there's always going to be some grumblers around. Some grumblers who think you're too happy. 
Some grumblers who think you're too full of faith. Some grumblers who maybe don't know Jesus like you do. And they're going to try to pull you down to their level. But ignore the grumblers and continue to praise the Lord. Don't let them stop you. When Jesus comes, praise him joyfully. Next, we need to receive Jesus' peace. Verse 41 continues and says, As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. And why did Jesus weep when he entered Jerusalem? He wept because he saw into the future. He saw Jerusalem's overall response to him. He saw that they were going to reject him and not accept him. He saw that the Jews would send him to a crucifixion on the cross. And Jesus wept not for himself, but he wept for the people of the city. They thought they would find peace by rejecting Jesus. Many of them thought if, if Jesus got out of hand that the Romans would, would kill them all. And so they thought by rejecting Jesus and his radical ideas, it would bring peace. But the peace they sought never came. For they would not repent of their sin. That was going to bring God's judgment. Jesus goes on to say in verse 43, The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you on the ground, you and the children within your walls. And so this was about 30 A.D. And Jesus looked into the future. He looked 40 years into the future to 70 A.D. And he saw what was coming. It was the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman army. The whole city would be completely destroyed. Hundreds of thousands of Jews would be killed. Not one stone would be left against another. And this destruction, this destruction was not a random event. It was God's judgment upon the Jewish nation. The destruction of Jerusalem was God's judgment on a people who refused to recognize their Messiah. Their Messiah had finally come, the one they'd been waiting for for thousands of years, and they didn't recognize him. They did not repent of their sin. They did not respond to God's invitation. Verse 44 continues, it says, They will not leave one stone on another because, and here's the reason Jerusalem would be destroyed, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And so this is the reason for the destruction of Jerusalem. Jerusalem and the people within it did not recognize that God himself had come to them in the form of Jesus. They did not recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. In Jesus, God had extended an invitation to eternal life to them. And they had rejected that invitation. And so their judgment was sealed. And they would not receive Jesus' peace. So this morning we need to ask ourselves the question, am I recognizing the time of Jesus coming to me? Am I aware of his coming? Am I listening to the words that Jesus is speaking to me by his spirit? And what does Jesus say when he comes to us? When we meet Jesus, whether by ourselves or in a group or with other believers, when Jesus comes to us, one of the things he does is he points out sin in our lives. 
And the Bible tells us that there's no one here without sin, myself included. Jesus points out sin in our lives, sin that we need to repent of. The only way that change happens in our lives, and we all want change in our lives, don't we? The only way that change happens in our lives is when God, by his Holy Spirit, points out sin in our lives. And when we repent of that sin, when we turn away from that sin and we turn in faith to God, then things happen in our lives. Our lives change for the better. And that's what Jerusalem missed out on. Jesus came. He pointed out the sin in people's lives. And they refused to acknowledge it. They refused to repent. And so judgment came. Judgment comes to believers as well as unbelievers. You know, if we refuse, when God points out sin in our lives, then we're going to reap the consequences of our own sin. And that's not a good thing. But if we repent, then Jesus extends his forgiveness. He extends his peace into our lives. And he brings his blessing into our lives. And so every time that we meet with Jesus, whether it's on Sunday mornings, whether it's in a small group, whether it's by yourself, just you and Jesus... Open up your heart to what God is speaking to you. It's not just about the things we need from God, although that's part of it. It's also about what God wants to do in our lives. How he wants to change us to become more and more like Jesus. And so let God, let Jesus guide you in your life to new commitments to him. To recognizing areas of your life that need to change. As long as we're alive on this earth, there's further progress that we need to make in our spiritual lives. None of us have it all together. None of us has reached perfection. None of us lives like Jesus did. And so we all have a ways to go when Jesus comes. Listen to what he says and receive his peace. Finally, when Jesus comes, we must grow in praying, in prayer. Praying in Jesus' name. Verse 45, it says, Then Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, My house will be a house of prayer. And so when Jesus entered the temple area, the first thing that he saw in the outer courts was all the tables filled with money. What were those tables all about? At the tables were money changers, where they were changing people's money from one kind of coin to another so that they could pay their temple tax and give their offerings in the temple. They were also selling the people sacrificial animals, lambs, doves, other things that were offered to God in sacrifice. And so when the people entered, when Jesus entered the temple courts, that's all he saw. Buying and selling like a Mideastern bazaar. He didn't see any prayer going on in the courts of the temple. And Jesus said that the mark of his house, he said it was my house, is that it should be known as a house of prayer. We ought to serve Jesus, not money. Jesus goes on to say, but you have made it a den of robbers. That's how Jesus characterized all of these sellers, all these money changers. He characterized them as robbers. And the temple of God that should have been a house of prayer was the hideout 
of these robbers. The sellers were greedily trying to make as much money as they could. It was a business to them. It was not a service to the worshipers. They were simply trying to make a lot of money. And they had a monopoly. When you came to the temple, you had to use these people. And so they could charge whatever they wanted. They were in essence robbing the people that have come to worship God. In God's very own house. And no wonder it made Jesus angry. No wonder it made him want to turn over all the tables. And stop what was going on. Jesus said in Luke 16, 13, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When you serve money, then the money is yours. And how many people think that their money is theirs to do with however they please? But that is serving money. When you serve Jesus, when you serve God, Everything you have is His, not ours. All of our money, all of our resources is God's. And we use His money in the way that He directs us. We use it to support His church and His kingdom. We use it to meet our needs. We use it to help others. But it's His money, not ours. A big difference. And we reject religious rituals. Verse 47, it says, Every day he, speaking of Jesus, was teaching at the temple, but, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. It's amazing, isn't it? He came. The very Son of God, teaching the very Word of God, and those that were supposed to be the teachers of the law wanted to kill him. The Messiah the Son of God. Why? Because Jesus was not following along with all the religious rituals, the way they did things. He was doing things completely differently. They had all kinds of things they did that were not based on God's Word. They had added to the Word of God. They had twisted the meaning of the Word of God to their own ends. To encompass their own ideas. But Jesus... Jesus emphasized the importance of a relationship with God. He emphasized the importance of prayer from the heart to God, of hearing from God, of changing as God works in our hearts. And so these leaders wanted to get rid of Jesus. He just didn't get the program. He was upsetting not only their money-changing tables, he was upsetting everything they did. The people were beginning to get the idea that maybe Jesus was right and they were wrong and they didn't like that. They were more interested in money. They were more interested in their positions of power than in a relationship with God or prayer to the God of heaven. So how should we respond? What message does God have us for this church today? As Jesus went into the temple and overturned the tables of money. Well, we should be, that our, be sure that our church is a house of prayer, I think. Don't you think that would be a good thing? That one of the main things we would be known for is that of a church of prayer. That life church is a church of prayer. So I'd encourage you on Sunday mornings, get here early so you can fellowship a bit. And then I'd encourage you to be in the sanctuary five minutes early. 
We have a little countdown that starts five minutes early. Anybody saw that? And it would be a good thing if we all came in at the beginning of that countdown and just got a little bit quiet. Stop talking. There's nothing wrong with fellowship in this proper time, but just got a little quiet and begin to pray. Five minutes, that's too much, is not too much, is it? Begin to pray quietly, asking for God to be here, asking for God to meet needs, asking for God to speak to us. That's one simple way we can grow in being a house of prayer in this church. When we have our monthly prayer and praise meetings, it's an opportunity for everyone in life groups, people not in life groups, to come together and pray. We'd encourage each one to make it a priority to come and pray. This month is not going to be the third Wednesday. It's going to be the last Wednesday. I don't have the date right now. It's going to be the last Wednesday of the month. We have a conflict, but we encourage you when that's announced to make it a priority. And don't be afraid. You don't have to pray aloud. You don't have to embarrass yourself if you don't want to. Just come and be part. Is your own house a house of prayer? Some people pray when they come to church. But in their own house, they don't do much praying. God wants your house to be a house of prayer. Do you daily meet with God by yourself and pray? God wants you to do that. Do you pray with your spouse? If you still have children at home, do you pray with your children? God wants your house and your family to be a house of prayer. Because prayer is so important, many things compete with prayer. Because prayer is so important, the devil sends many distractions, many temptations to keep us from praying. To make us think that all kinds of other things are more important than prayer. We don't have time to pray. We're, we're too busy. If we're too busy to pray, we're too busy. What competes with prayer could be money. It could be work. It could be entertainment. It could be hobbies. It could be sports. It could be your family. It could be a variety of other things. There's all kinds of things, even good things, that the enemy uses to take us away from prayer. Put God first in your life. Listen to Him. And when you listen to Jesus, He's going to be speaking to you about being part of a house of prayer. Being part of a house of prayer in your church, being part of a house of prayer in your family. Because prayer is important. Prayer is essential for the believer. Prayer changes situations. Prayer changes people. Prayer changes you and I. And God moves through the prayers of His people. So I believe God is coming to this church. As He has in the past and as He will in the future. And He's encouraging us to go deeper in prayer. To move prayer up in our priority list to the place it rightfully should be. So let's follow his directions. Jesus comes into our lives every day. And I believe Jesus is here this morning. How should we respond to him? Well, we acknowledge that he's here. And we praise him. We've been praising him this morning. We're going to praise him a little bit more. We praise him joyfully because he is here. We praise him for the miracles he's done. We praise him for who he is. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. 
But as we lift up our eyes to him, we let him put his finger on those places in our lives that are not quite right, that are not in a line with his word and his will. The areas in our lives that need to change. And that's not a bad thing. It's called conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If you never feel conviction of the Holy Spirit, then something is wrong. Something is really wrong because you become too dull to hear the voice of God in your heart. So it's not a bad thing when you feel, ouch, yes, there's something not quite right. I need to change. I need to repent. I need to ask for God's help. I need to receive his forgiveness. And finally, let our lives be characterized by prayer. The Bible tells us to pray continually. I have a ways to go on that. To be always in an attitude of prayer. Do your part to make our church a church of prayer because prayer is the most important thing to make a difference in the ministry and growth of this church. That's the most important thing. Jesus has great things for his children, so let's respond to him and be blessed. And there may be some here today who have never personally responded to Jesus, or perhaps you've responded in the past and you feel like you've drifted away, and today you want to make a recommitment of your life to him. You know, it's never wrong to recommit your life to Jesus Christ again. It's something we all should do from time to time. In order to do that, we admit that we've sinned. We believe that Jesus came, that our sins might be forgiven. We invite him into our lives and we commit our lives to following him and his plan and purpose for us. So let's bow our heads right now. We're going to pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago and he revealed the way to God. We thank you that he's here with us today. And today we admit that we've sinned, we've done things not pleasing to you. But we believe Jesus came and died on the cross that our sins might be forgiven. Please forgive us. Come into our lives. We commit ourselves to following you and your purpose for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.